This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is brought to you by my friends at Catoctin Creek Distilling Company. Located in Percival, Virginia, Catoctin Creek Distilling Company is the Virginia rye whiskey. From its traditional production methods to the land that infuses every bottle, everything about Catoctin Creek is inspired by the history and craft of Virginia. Founded by Scott and Becky Harris in 2009, Catoctin Creek is proud to be the first legal distillery since Prohibition in Loudoun County. And if you were drinking whiskey in Virginia before Prohibition, you are most certainly drinking rye whiskey, which is what Catoctin Creek is known for. Considered Virginia's most awarded whiskey, Catoctin Creek's flagship product, Roundstone Rye, is a 100% rye single barrel whiskey produced in the tradition of slower distillation in copper pot stills. That process results in a richer flavor, texture, and spice. This whiskey is delicious. So if you're ever in Percival, Virginia, stop in and say hello to Scott and Becky Harris at Catoctin Creek Distilling and tell them that Howard sent you and get some Roundstone Rye. It makes some darn good gin and brandy too, I'm gonna tell you. So just stop in and see them. You'll be very happy you did. And now let's get on with the show. When it came to the Carmen year, Basically, in 2013, my dad and my mom and my sister, we all kind of came together and we were like, look, we can either continue to go down this path of mediocrity and just be like, okay, our, our wines are okay. They're not terrible, but they're not great. Or you and your sister can step up. Here's this opportunity. Be the best. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello, and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. Today's show was one of the most enjoyable episodes that I've recorded in a long time. Although I must admit, I have a ball at all of them. But this one stood out so you know it's a good one. But first, I'd like to ask you to please subscribe and rate the podcast if you've not done so already. And I also have some news about Barrel Tasting. We are now available on Alexa. Just say Alexa if you have an Alexa device. Open Barrel Tasting Podcast and the latest episode of my show will play on your device. And that's pretty cool. Tucked away in the beautiful Catoctin Ridge of Leesburg, Virginia is Casanel Vineyards and Winery. Their winemaker, Katie DeSousa Henley, is my guest this week. From construction to agriculture, Katie will share her family's journey into the Virginia winemaking business. As a young, talented winemaker, Katie also discusses what it's like to take part in a family business, fall in love with winemaking, and what it takes not only to survive, but to thrive as a woman in the highly competitive, yet very collaborative, male-dominated industry of Virginia's wine country. Now, let me make it clear, I don't wanna sell her short. She's young, yes, and she's aspirational, yes, but she's no rookie. She is a, an award-winning, innovative winemaker, and I'm happy to bring this conversation to you. So that's enough for me. With no further ado, this is my conversation with Katie DeSosa Henley of Casanel Vineyards and Winery. Let's all raise a glass. 
Well, I'm at the beautiful Casanel Vineyard and Winery. Have not been here before, I have to confess. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yes, yes. And my guest today, I'm very excited to be talking to Katie D'Souza. Yeah. Henley. D'Souza Henley. D'Souza Henley, either one. <laughs> welcome welcome to the show. Thank you. Long time watcher, listener, oh. first time participant. Nice. So. <laughs> nice. Well, I am particularly excited and uh, eager to speak to you because you are one of the more innovative winemakers, I think, Thank in you. Virginia Thank right you, now. Howard. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, as I said, I've never been here before, but I have had some Casanova wine. Okay. I believe. My partner, Fantastic. Joan, over there will maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but at the Virginia Wine Festival in 2018, is it, were you all there? Well, I don't even remember. You were there. Let's all just I remember was the rain. Like, does anybody else remember 18 well, other than rain? Yeah, we were I'll, probably around. Well, yeah. If it was there or not, I'll tell you what, what struck me. Uh, you had, there was a red blend, which I like, and it was one of yours. I liked K-squared. a lot. K-squared, yeah, I love K-squared. But, but, but what, uh, what really hit me was there was a Norton, and it might have been the N squared, or it might have been something oh, else. Okay, okay, yeah. That I, that, that I tasted. And Norton is a grape, like many people, uh, or some people, uh, don't necessarily cotton to. Just be honest, it's love hate. <laughs> you either love it or you hate it. Um, like on a side note on that, Howard, that's why I don't name my Norton wines Norton, because then if you don't know it's Norton, you'll like it. <laughs> a little fake out, but um, it's one of those, we like to say in the industry, it's an acquired taste. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I liked what I tasted then. Great, and we're gonna, we will get to your Thank whole you. portfolio of wine, especially sure. Norton. Yeah, I, I, I like it a little bit. It's, it's starting to, to grow on me, the Norton. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. Um, I, you know, usually I start these out, you know, I, I break a rule that most journalists and podcasters will tell you. Don't ever let the uh, guests introduce themselves. Introduce them first. <laughs> and I usually break that rule every time when I say, oh, introduce yourself. And I'm not going to do that here, not because I wouldn't want to hear what you have to say, because I'll ask you that too. Mm -hmm. But this particular situation is a real family affair. Yes. From what I can see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you are a second generation DeSosa here. Mm -hmm. But you guys have an interesting story because you came from an industry that I don't even see how you went from construction, <laughs> if I'm correct. Yes, construction. So we had, um, originally my father started D'Souza Construction with my mom back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, so they had D'Souza for a very long time, 30 years or something before um, he finally retired. <laughs> we like to say retired, he never. My dad's like a shark. When he stops swimming, that's <laughs> that's when you have to worry. Like, okay, Nelson's, Nelson's sleeping? Why? <laughs> yeah. But um, when my dad came here uh, originally from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, he came here, you know, true American dream story, nothing in his pocket, maybe a couple quarters. It always changes. It's like a dollar or quarters, whichever, whichever day he's on today. It wasn't today. much, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, my father being 78, he'll be 79 in April, on April 3rd. Um, his whole life has just been this culmination of doing things, mm -hmm. getting out there, doing it, being the first or being the second one, doesn't matter. It's just you get up and you go, right? So they started to use the construction back in the 80s. I grew up in a, in a yard, a construction yard. Uh, we used to play in sono tubes, um, dirt, sand, all kinds of things. So vineyard made more sense. You know, if you looked at me when I was younger, okay, yeah. maybe she'll play in the dirt. In the That's dirt, what she right. likes to do. But we had to choose a construction. My sister and I were probably high school age when my parents were like, let's start a vineyard. And it was just like that, like 
let's start a vineyard. I like woke up one day and my dad called me. I was in college at the time. I was like 17, 18. And he was like, so we're going to buy the farm and we're going to plant grapes May 5th. Be there. And I was like, May 5th? Like, is that spring break? <laughs> was there any agriculture in his past? I mean, in, in Brazil, did your family... Um, I mean, uh, every time uh, you talk to my dad about Brazil, like, um, just to clarify, he is American by choice. What does that mean? He is American. He came here to be an American. He is a citizen. He celebrates his American birthday every year. Um, we usually release one of the Nortons for him. Thomas Jefferson's his favorite. Don't even get me to be the end of the podcast for that one. Like, <laughs> the whole Thomas Jefferson dad thing. Yeah. Um, but when we started this, it was kind of like, you know, my parents were getting on, they were retired. My sister went off to college. So the joke is my sister left, they bought two dogs. I left, they bought the farm. Yeah. They really wanted me to come back. <laughs> Obviously I wanted to come back too, but we'll get to that later. It just kind of was like this kind of slow progression from 2006, you know, finding the property, mm -hmm. um, just thinking about what we can do with it. We'd always wanted a homestead. Like my mom's side of the family is from Donegal, Ireland, and they still have their homestead in Donegal. So she's always like, let's have a homestead. Let's have chickens and pigs. You know, my mom was kind of one of those people. One thing led to another. And as you saw driving in, we've got a lot of land here. We've got about 14, 42 acres total on mm -hmm. the property with about 10 under vine. So everywhere you saw grapes was yeah. actually trees. So all the trees were taken down. You can see we have some firewood. Um, a lot of the trees were reused in the decoration and the decor of the, the tasting room. So dad's just always been kind of handy. He was trained as a carpenter in Brazil. So oh, that came in handy, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, carpentry leads to construction, leads to wine. Why? Um, are you familiar with the story of Jesus? <laughs> you know, like we're all trying to emulate Jesus, right? We're trying to be the best winemaker. Um, but every time people would ask me, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm about my father's business. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm making wine, right? <laughs> um, so basically, my dad was working with a couple of other people in the area. And he was like, let's not. Let's just do it. Why not? Why not? Let's okay. see. We're really good at construction. We've always had wine around. You know, when I was little, we'd always have like little snifters of port, you know, being Portuguese. It's kind of what you do. Plus, my parents were very into entertaining. So there was always like a bottle of Matus Rosé somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't want to like say that too loud. At least it was a Boone's Farm. Um, no, never, never mess with Boone's Farm. But um, so one thing led to another. And basically, I was in college. I was an English major. Had a job lined up in New York was ready to go, graduated a little early. And my dad basically said, you know, how about you stay on the farm for a couple weeks before you leave and just to see if you like it. And literally after day five, I called my mentor and I was like, sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna stay on the farm. Um, you know, why not indentured servitude, give it a shot, like see if it works out. Right. Child labor, we like right. to say in the industry. So what I've noticed from some of your other podcasts is a lot of people kind of fall into this job, right? I was a banker, I was in finance or whatever, and then wine kind of spoke to me. I grew up in it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when I started, I was a wee babe, 17. You don't have to ask me how old I am, okay. I won't tell you. Okay. <laughs> Been 26 for 10 years. It was kind of one of those things where, because of my dad's story, if you know my dad's story, just coming here, knowing his work ethic, knowing how much he loves this country and how much he loves to work, which is, funny, like W-O-R-K is a dirty word in our house. Like, <laughs> so many people don't like to work nowadays. My dad kind of instilled in me this opportunity, like, hey, kiddo, like, 
you can go out there into the crazy world and if you guys remember 2007, 2006 was kind of crazy back then with right. the depression and everything and the economy crashing anyway. So starting a business kind of seemed a little crazy, but here I was, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 18-year-old. Okay, fine, let's do it. Like, you're telling me I get to be my own boss, kind of? All right, okay, I'll, 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 I'll try it out. So I started in 2010 as the resident crystal technician. I did the dishes. Okay. <laughs> so that's what my job was. I was too young to pour. I was underage, so you can't pour unless you're 21. Right. Um, plus, my parents were smart. They didn't want to give me all of this, <laughs> you know, all of this responsibility right out of the gate. So I started as a crystal technician. Basically, I would, you know, wash the dishes. Sometimes I'd help bust tables, do some tastings if I could, if we were in a jam. And that's how I learned. So I grew up behind the bar, we like to say. Pretty much it was, you know, I'd slide a bottle to you like, hey, what do you think? You know, do you like it? Why do you like it? And then I kind of learned about wine, not from like a backwards point of view, but from like a quieter point of view. Um, I say quieter because like when you're the winemaker, when you're the vineyard manager, people want to talk to you. They want to know exactly what they're doing. But tasting room managers, you know, tasting room people, like we all know what we need to do. So it's not as glamorous, you know, as being a winemaker or well, Whatever. So what yeah. I want to know about is how you make that transition, because <laughs> there are plenty of people who went from being an English major to yeah. a great bartender mm -hmm. yeah. or an English major to a great. It's the Hemingway. Yes, yes, yes <laughs> no, to a great uh, you know, restaurant manager mm -hmm. or, you know, tasting room manager or business person. Yeah. But it's the rare breed that goes from being rare. an English major, even if it's in your family, to being. Right. Not just a winemaker, but a very competent, very good winemaker. So how does, that ha how does that happen? Um, all blame goes to my parents and my family, especially my sister, um, Anna. She's the one who kind of pushed me back in 2010 and 2011, like, hey, we can do this, the two of us. Because when we started, my sister was actually the tasting room manager back in like, well, I don't know, this was a long time ago. <laughs> um, we've almost been open for like two decades, which is kind of crazy. It doesn't feel like two decades. Yeah. I'm sure my wrinkles are showing, yeah. but... Well, 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 it means you enjoy what you do. <laughs> right, yeah. You know. No, I mean, how can you not? I mean, the product is beautiful. It's a labor of love. I hate when we use cliches like that, but when you have the whole family involved, the dynamic is so intense. Mm -hmm. You don't want to say pressure, but then again, pressure, without pressure, no diamonds, and I love diamonds. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the pressure head on because, you know, the reward is sweet. Um, so to speak. And, and when you grow up with that mindset, when you grow up with this very positive, can-do, hard work ethic, anything can be done because you're born in America, you're lucky right out of the gate. That's kind of my dad's whole, sh whole thing. Is you have this mentality where you can do it. Um, I'm not saying that winemaking is easy. I'm not saying growing grapes is easy. It's hard. It's really hard, especially in Virginia. Um, weather can be a little crazy yeah. so you really have to kind of know all these different things and and I, I like to blame my family I say that but it's because they prepared me to overanalyze and I know that sounds crazy but as a winemaker you have to think about everything from the way your foil sits to if your label's crooked to the wine itself there's yeah. so many different components that you have to actually think about and 
and <laughs> try to sell because it's yeah. not just winemaking. But that's not a lot the like art. the construction business too. Yeah. So basically, my dad likes to lay a foundation. Um, yeah. And you start to build the house. You know, you put the walls up, then you put the floor in. You know, and it's very systematic, just like winemaking. You know, you yeah. you harvest the fruit, then you cold soak, then you you know all this all these different recipes. It's in that aspect, it's easy to make the wine if you know what's coming. So anticipation is definitely, I think, one of the core and key things that you need inside of you to be a winemaker is to anticipate everything. Well, <laughs> I want to take a step back before sure. we get to the, sure. to the liquid, <laughs> to the wine. We're sitting on some beautiful land right here. I know Very that, <laughs> uh, you know, a podcast is an audio medium, we, no visuals here. But, you know, for those of you who are in the area, you have to come out here to Casanel because, you. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you know it's, it's sort of hidden. It's, uh, you know, you can't see it from any main thoroughfare. But if you go down uh, Canby Road, it sort of opens up here, you know, like Emerald City, and it's really nice right. land. Now, you're right. also at a good elevation for mm-hmm. growing the grapes that you do. I think it's like maybe 600 yeah, feet. Yeah, six, or seven hundred feet like on the crest of the, or the crown of the hills. Now I just uh, interviewed Doug Fabioli, mm-hmm. and he, uh, you know, hi as, Doug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as you know, he's a, a legend here in in, mm-hmm. uh, in the area. However, when he and his wife uh, bought the, his land, as he told me, you know, they were just sort of looking for a farm, and they mm-hmm. weren't really thinking necessarily to that they were going to be producing the grapes. Does anybody that they were. ever really want to get into this job? Like, do we? Do you really want to torture yourself? Be like, yes, I would like to be a farmer and work with people. Like, yeah. oh, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, your father must, or your father and your mother must have done their homework, oh, or yeah. maybe they just it was just you know they are fortunate because this is a great fortunate. We're fortunate. Okay, but you are quite fortunate because you have some great yeah. land out here. Mm-hmm. How long was it that you were in the you were sell, uh, seller rat, so to speak, Oof. before you actually so, took yeah. the wheel of being a winemaker? Uh, well, again, that you want to you want to know how things work here. You got to start at the head of the snake with dad. Um, my father's mantra in life, one of the many many Nelsonisms we like to say, is you never ask someone to do something unless you've done it yourself first. So, with that in mind, I have literally held every single position here, from toilet cleaner to winemaker and everything in between. My father and my mom want. They were like, if you want this, if you want this to work. Because, you know, with family operations, it's sink or, sink or swim oh, sure, for most part, especially sure. with COVID and all that stuff. You need to learn how to make it run, why it runs, you know, all these different things. So a little bit of plumbing, a little bit of electricity, like all these different things you start to learn, not just as a winemaker, but also as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of makes your product a little different. Like I always like to tease other winemakers, oh, if you don't grow your own grapes, you don't know your product. Like you've got to see where it's coming from. You have to nurture it and then create it. Like that's one of the best things about winemaking is you get to create this thing. It's very, um, for lack of a better word, very feminine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think female winemakers are a little bit better. Just having that one up to be able to know how to create something, give it life, but also give it the why behind it. Yeah. You know, like we're again, we're not just artists or winemakers. We're business people. We have to sell it. Right. <laughs> if you like it, in order for me to continue making it, you have to buy it. Right. <laughs> so it's it's kind of this really interesting symbiotic relationship between the seller ratting and being upstairs. I had both worlds. I had a tasting room knowledge where I could get creative, I could get unique, 
can make, you know, sparkling Nortons, things that people have never see, like seen or tasted before. Yeah. Whereas with my, you know, tutelage under Kittel and Lucy, my, um, my um, former consulting winemaker and my current viticulturist, it's, it's very much like you do your own research, figure out what you want, do it technically correctly. Like don't cut corners, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, it's how much you care. Yeah. And if you care a lot about your product, it's going to show. If you don't, also going to show. <laughs> so would, you just uh, need to be, yeah. Would the Lucy be Lucy? Lucy Morton. Morton? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I, the famous Lucy. Yeah. Fa- yeah. <laughs> she's she's a, a legend that I'm trying to, I have to get her on the show, but I haven't. I haven't Good luck. Her yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would She's be a guess. She's and mysterious now. I'm yeah. kidding. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I credit a lot of my, uh, m- most of my early career to Lucy. She came to me in 2013 through a good friend, and she's been by my side ever since. So. I haven't heard anyone say anything right? yeah. bad about her If you want good quality, never. gotta get Lucy. She's like the Mary Poppins of the vineyard. She comes, and she's just like, let me fix everything. Yeah. yeah. Everything's yeah. good. So. I've heard great things. Heard great yeah. things. She's fantastic. Um, now, let's talk about sourcing, the sourcing of your grapes. Sure. And then we're going get, to get into Norton. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to hear about that. this. So, <laughs> um, are you, uh, do you, are all of your wines estate grown or? What where, a tricky question, Howard. What a tricky question. Well, um, let, me, let me answer this. So, we use 100% of our own grapes here. What does that mean? Everything we harvest, we're using. We're not selling it, we're not trading it anymore. Sometimes we do that, like for past vintages, we'd trade Chardonnay or PV for like Merlot or Cap Franc, whatever was available at the time. Right. Um, but moving forward, we decided with the acreage that we have, we don't want to expand. <laughs> we want to be consistent with our quality. Yeah. And I think the moment you start to grow and you have to really think about it before you do it. It's, you know, there's, there's a system. <laughs> if, you, if you grow too much, you're going to have too much wine, then how the hell are you going to sell it, right? So, again, it all goes back to the business of the, the nature of the business, rather, and we know what we can sell. We know what we can grow. Here's what we have. It's expensive to rip out. It's expensive to farm it. It's expensive to just do anything <laughs> in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, that played into our you know, all of our, our details and what we were doing in the vineyard. So that with that in mind, like, we're using 100% of our own grapes. We grow two styles of whites, Chardonnay and Pinot, or two types of, of grapes, Chardonnay and Pinot Gris for white wine. We have a little bit of Viognier, but I hate Viognier. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I well. usually, usually I just blend it into the rosé. Uh, okay. It's like 33 vines. It was a, it's a gift from yeah. uh, our neighbor, Dr. Barker. Great person in the industry. If you ever want to have a fun interview, go okay. go find Dr. Pete. He's a neighbor of ours, but right. he actually gifted us some of that Viognier. So maybe his Carmenere cuttings are doing well. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but for red wines, we grow Norton, Petit Verdot, Carmenere, and Cab Sav. So very weird kind of mix, you know, Chardonnay and Cab Sav. Okay, everybody knows what those are, but the rest is like, what are you growing? <laughs> well, you have, yeah. you have a large. If I'm not mistaken, tell me. If a large percentage of your vines is made are made up of Norton and Carmenere, 
Yeah, uh, Carmenere, not so much. Um, we have been like starting to look at replacing it just because as it gets older, you know, it's like your body. <laughs> you start to fall apart and you need mm -hmm. to start doing replacing. Re replacing it with more Yeah, Carmenere. like sometimes yeah. people run into them with a tractor. I won't say who. <laughs> but, you know, things happen. It's a, it's a working farm. Well, that's a um, grape that's not, yeah. you, you know, you don't find that in no. Virginia. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. I think we're the first, or not first, but we're like the only Virginia winery that's making 100% Carmenere. I said that to you, Doug. It's 100%. Because <laughs> uh, I know Fabioli makes some Carmenere. I know Linden puts some in their, I think it was their 2015 Petit Verdot or something like mm -hmm. that. So it's rare um, because it sucks to grow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can imagine with all the rain, the humidity, the wetness. Because um, it was coming yeah. out of Chile, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in Chile, uh, fortunately, my husband, uh, I always like to to, to put Tyler onto this one. Right. But my husband, Tyler, he started training out in uh, Napa. So mm -hmm. he's a Napa boy, but don't worry. Napa makes auto parts, Virginia makes wine. Okay. Um, so we, we kind of met after his foray in Napa and mm -hmm. he went to Chile and Europe. And I remember when we first met, he was like, wow, you're making Carmenere? That's like kind of ballsy, like why? <laughs> you know, yeah. like it doesn't yeah. grow well here. And honestly, Again, you want to blame somebody, dad, <laughs> daddy dearest, um, being Brazilian, being, you know, from Rio, we wanted a South American grape, something that was indicative of South America, right? So it's either Malbec or Carmenere, because mm -hmm. if you remember, those were the two grapes coming up at the time. You know, there right. were a lot of other grape varieties in South America now, but those were kind of the two. Um, our consultant at the time kind of talked us out of Malbec because he was like, it doesn't really grow well. But Carmenere, something about the name... I don't know, like I think of this woman, Carmen, you know, very yeah, like curvy yeah. and robust that's, and rougey, right? That's that's Carmenere for me. So when we taste that later, yeah. you can tell me if you think the same. But. Well, I mean, it's very exotic and sexy, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. But it's close to, if I'm not mistaken, it was mistaken for Merlot at one time. Yeah. And you know, look, I'm, I'm from D.C., <laughs> so I unfortunately call the great country of Chile, yeah, Chile. <laughs> You know. Parmesan Reggiano, you know, it's like, oh my God, but, Parmesan cheese. <laughs> but that climate, now I know it's a large, you know, mm -hmm. it runs up that West Coast, it's a large uh, part of South America, so I'm sure the climate's different in a lot of places. But when I think of Chile, I don't think of the same climate as Virginia. No, <laughs> not so, at all. <laughs> so without getting too far down the rabbit hole, what, what, how did you you know, put that square peg in the round hole Ooh. to grow it here. Well, for six years, we didn't have any fruit. That's six years without a profit. That makes dad very angry, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No profit, can't buy barrels, can't buy tanks. You know, it's, it's this again, this industry is very, synergy is real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, when it came to the Carmen year, basically in 2013, my dad and my mom and my sister, we all kind of came together and we were like, look, we can either continue to go down this path of mediocrity and just be like, okay, our, our wines are okay. They're not terrible, but they're not great. Or you and your sister can step up. Here's this opportunity. Be the best. Um, growing up with my father, one of the inside jokes we had is um, we, we come home from school and we always had to present our test papers to dad and mom, right? Oh, tiger parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my, my I remember one one math test very, very specifically in my mind because I suck at math. Ask my husband. I always have my calculator on me. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but basically I had gotten a 99 out of 100. My dad's sitting there, he's looking at it, looking at me, looking at the paper, looking at me, and he's like, you couldn't get that one extra point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you know, and like that's dad. Like you can yeah. always do better. You can always be improving. So that's kind of our our little motto downstairs is like always improve. Yeah. You know, you can always be better than the next. You can always be worse, but you can always be better too. So try to be better. But yeah, with dad and mom and Anna kind of pushing me to look in the vineyard, to look in the winery, to, I mean, I, at the time, you know, I was like 20 something. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Does anybody know what they're doing at 20 something? Yeah. You know? <laughs> that, that story though, it sort of reflects, you know, the quality that you all are striving for here. Because, you know, one thing that's very unique about your offerings, and I was asking you about this before we got started. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure I got <laughs> it straight. Because almost every Virginia vineyard and winery that I've had the conversation with the winemaker is they, they've planted Cab Franc. Because, because Cab Franc do you get that loud enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate Cap Franc. Does quite well oh. in Virginia. Okay. And not Dude, everyone. Okay, so let me ask you this as an interviewer, because you've probably interviewed way more people than I'll ever interview. Sure. Especially about Cap Franc. What is it about Cab Franc in Virginia that is so polarizing? Because for me, my style of Cab Franc that I enjoy is not necessarily the Virginian style. And I say Virginian style because back in the day it was like, oh, peppery and spicy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, if you like pyrazine, yeah. that's for you. Like, yeah. I'd rather have a fruit forward or cab franc, which is kind of a great segue into the Carmen year. Like, sure. I want fruit. Fruit. So, like, when people are tasting my Carmen year, that's what I want them to think that cab franc tastes like sensual, fruity, acidic, mouth-feeling, lots of fruit, mm -hmm. not green bell peppers. Like, what is this, taco night? I don't yeah. want green bell peppers <laughs> in my wine. Sorry, I'm not, not for nuances. I'm not a Brett girl. I'm not any of those, you know, whatever fault flaws you want to call well, it. Well, I but. think a lot of people use it for blending, yeah. to be quite yeah. honest with yeah. you. And um, this was a, an opinion. It's only my opinion. <laughs> Those grape growers and winemakers that want to actually work on their Cab mm -hmm. Franc, it doesn't taste that way. Exactly. It and I, I agree with you on that. Like, I think they're, I would, I would go ahead and say who my favorite Cab Franc producers are, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Okay. Because we're all a community and we all love each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I'll go ahead and say this. My mentor could tell the Cab Franc at Slater Run is just, mm -hmm. it's stunning. I mean, yeah. it's fruity, it's full. It, it doesn't leave you with a dried out mouth. You know, it's it's a very thoughtful approach to winemaking. Yeah. And that's all I'm gonna say. Like <laughs> our, our motto here is people, passion, and a sense of place. My God, how many times have I said motto? Like you should do a drinking game for yeah, that. Like yeah, motto, yeah, mantra, yeah, motto. Yeah. Uh, it's better than like, um, or yeah. Uh, but uh, for, uh, as I say that. Yeah, and um, the other yeah. grape, that, not everyone grows this. I mean, the Cab Franc is the thing that I found so striking. Yeah. The other one is Merlot. Merlot. Um, you might be the Paul Giamatti of this area and just don't want to have Merlot. <laughs> it might be that. Um, is there a particular reason? I don't know. Why? Like, maybe if Merlot won the Governor's Cup, maybe the marketing board would be like, oh, grow Merlot. I, right. I don't know. Because, right. like, for me, winemaking is so preferential. I yeah. hate to say that. But, you know, when you work with a lot of different wines, you know, I've, I've, or a lot of different grapes, rather, like I've worked with Merlot and Cap Franc in the past um, with Cattell, and it's just like, I'm not saying they're boring, 
I'm not saying there, you know, it's there's no place for Merlot. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's just other people who do it better than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. you know, you got to know know your yeah. lane. You yeah, know? and you're like the- one of the things about not planting Merlot and Cap Franc is everybody grows it. So yeah. if we wanted it, we could source it. Right. Um, right now we're sourcing really great Cap Franc out of, or Cap Franc out of the valley right now. Um, and it's stunning, but it's yeah. 3,000 a ton, so... Well, gets a little pricey. <laughs> boring is a good segue for Norton. <laughs> oh, Norton. Because anything but boring. In, no, no. Well, <laughs> you have made it that. Yeah, thank but you. But <laughs> in but in in my assessment, that's one that is it seems like the boring grape and I would understand why somebody would not plant any. But you took yeah. a different take on that. I wouldn't say it's boring. I would say that because it's not vinifera, you know, it's not Merlot, it's not Chardonnay, yeah. it's not Cabernet Sauvignon, it's Norton. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds very... It does. You know, sounds in like, the hills, you right. know, like, we're going to make wine in our bathtub tonight, <laughs> Jimmy. Like, no, that's not what Norton no. is. Norton is beautiful. And I, I invite you to try some. Okay. Sorry, I've been trying some. I get nervous. Yeah, it's and okay. I, I drink a little <laughs> no, bit. We were, I, I had to get to it eventually. You know, right. in, in front of us are, you do a sparkling, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you do sparkling Norton of two types. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at very this. Very different, right? Two very yes. pretty colors. Yeah. I'm looking at this one that's closest to me, which mm-hmm. is the lighter one. I'm yeah, assuming this spark. is a drier one. Yes. So basically in our portfolio, we make three different styles of sparkling. We do our Blanc de Blanc, which is named after my mother, uh, Casey's Cuvée. That's our white spark that's like our cream of the crop that's the echelon of our sparkling um it's a three years age i mean it's a stunning sparkling but we'll we'll drink that (laughs) off camera (laughs) we're talking about norton um so for norton the norton sparklings are interesting because we've got red spark let me do this right and then we've got black spark Two very different colors, two very different sugar levels. Um, Everything we do here is by hand. Um, So on top of always striving to improve, we also like to try and kill ourselves by doing everything by hand, Mm -hmm. including harvest. No mechanization of anything here at Castanel Vineyards. But Norton, we wanted to treat this a little bit differently. Um, If you've had Nortons in Virginia, most of the time they're red wine. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they're very, like, all across the board. Yeah. You can have great Norton, you can have really <laughs> bad Norton. Um, unfortunately, it can be kind of an unforgiving grape in, in that aspect. So when sparkling kind of came on the horizon, one, no one was doing it. Um, I do claim the first sparkling Nortons in the world. These are both method champenoise. Um, so they're not sparged. It's not, you know, put in a tank and pressurized. This is actually done by hand in the traditional method of, of champagne. I'm going to check on that because, right. I mean, that's something to claim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we you know. our first Red Spark was back in 2014. I remember calling, oh, who was it in Missouri? Oh, Stonehill. <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, y'all make a sparkling Norton. They're like, sparkling Catawba. And I was like, great. So I like, hung up the phone. I was like, we're going to do it. Let's do Red Spark. So this was my homage to everyone who's come before me. Red Spark is my way of not only cementing ourselves in the history of Virginia wine in this industry, but to the world. Because Norton is one of those grapes where if things continue the way they're going, and I don't want to say the, the CC word, climate change, right, right. but if it, if it continues, this is the only thing that's going to grow. <laughs> like left. Cabernet hates rain. Chardonnay can't stand mildew. You know, like there's certain grapes where 
you sit there and you're like, why the hell are we growing this here? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is the point? Like year after year, you just cry and you're like, there's no crop. And then you come to Norton and it's just like, it's there. rain? Uh-huh. <laughs> what, six tons? Here you go. You know, so Norton's one of those things where, you know, I used to, I used to say all the time that Petit Verdot was zombie proof, but even that's starting to change a little bit. I mean, even the birds won't eat Norton. I mean, they're just like, you know, <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's been around the block. Thomas Jefferson was close. This is what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted an elegant, you know, being a Francophile, like champagne is like the epitome of mm-hmm. like, you know, classic tasty wine. I'm a big bubble person. So being able to create, not only create my own bubbles, but create the first Red Spark, like Norton bubble. I did, I did that for dad. Wow. So when yeah. he gets up to the pearly gates and Thomas Jefferson's looking at him, he'd be like, did you taste my daughter's <laughs> wine for you? Isn't it great? It's great. Um, no, but it's, it's one of those things where I, I really truly believe that winemaking is, is a legacy thing. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it only stays if somebody's willing to take on the cape and continue to do it, right? You pass the baton, you pass mm-hmm. the torch. And I think the creative legacy that Castanel has you know, even if, you know, in 100 years or whatever, all of this is gone, this will still be, someone will be inspired by it. Um, some young girl, some person who's told no or you're never going to make it, you can do it. Trust me, I did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, can, you can do whatever you want. You just need the idea and the people to support you. And that's what winemaking is for me and the stories in there. You know? Well, you've done an excellent job of it. <laughs> tastes good. <laughs> it does. It does. This, this drive just tastes of the dry yeah. on the, the Red Spark. Yeah, this is about 0.5% residual sugar. He's a little bit sweeter, closer to about 2%. And this, is, this one is called? This is yeah. Black Spark. Black Spark. So in 2013, I created the Red Spark um, with my winemaking team. My husband and I, we got married in 2018 in July, and then we started making wine together um, that year. And he actually came up with Black Spark. Black Spark is the tail end of the press cut. So when you're making sparkling wine, especially when you're making like a Blanc de Blanc or you know a fancy cuvee, what you wanna do is you take the middle press. Mm-hmm. So you start the press, we, we call the, the first run like heads, right? It's a little kind of acidic, you know, first squeeze. So we usually pass that to a different tank. And then we, we work on the middle, you know, we're tasting pH, you know, checking everything, to, um, tasting and checking. And then we take that middle part, once it tastes different or the pH changes, that becomes the tails. So the tails is a little darker. <laughs> you can see like, we were kind of going for rosé style here, very pale salmon, mm-hmm. like correct, you know, right. traditional. Black Spark's not traditional, it's not classic, you know, it's it's a five weeks on the lease um, uh, after tirage, so it's very different in that this is 22 months, mm-hmm. so again, serious, a little less serious. Well, um, I'll, t- I'll tell you yeah. what about the Black Spark. I like and, them both. Um, if anyone listening, this comparison is going to be a bad one, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> but this is what it reminds me of, because I know that you guys make a port, mm-hmm. a Norton port. Full Nelson, mm-hmm. after your dad again. Of course. <laughs> and um, the back end of this Black Spark, I can see that a port is coming, you know. Yeah, it's down got like a plum, like all these you fruit like flavors. This. It's kind of crazy. It's really, it's really fun and fizzy. It's meant to be, you know, super chilled out on the patio. You know, this is not a stuffy, fussy wine. (laughs) Um, But for me, I like it because that that little bit of sugar tempers the acidity, so it's not as sharp as Red Spark. Um, 
But being a bubblehead, I love the sharpness. So I, I tend to drift towards the red spark. Um, but it just depends on my mood, really. I like them both because they're just so different. And I don't think anybody really has this on their menu yet. I mean, we have three bubbles on our menu up yeah. here, which is Well, a lot of places lot. don't have any. Yeah. So, well, I, you are the second woman winemaker that I've interviewed. And both of you have convinced <laughs> me to take another look at some wine. Melanie, Melanie, ah, Melanie, hi, Melanie. Yeah, yeah, that was Melanie Natoli. Rose and, and bubbles, all right, right, day, right, all day. Right. All if day. you and if I were, you know, ranking them, making a power list, power ranking, mm -hmm. Norton and Rose would have been on the bottom. However, I, mean, I was told, just like you're telling me about Norton, right? I was told that the people, the Roses I was drinking, were probably made by people who didn't focus on them or have a passion for them. Think about it. Like it's same with being a chef. Like if you don't cook with love, yeah. people aren't gonna buy it, yeah. sorry. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. right, you're clapping. <laughs> I, I, I do that too, my husband te teases me so much. He's like, what's the ingredient? I'm like, it's love. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, you love, know, a little extra love, yeah, that's all. You know, and I know you probably <clears throat> get with in your from interviewers or from people who talk to you, and, I, and I'm not going to go down that route as I'm <laughs> about you. to go down that route. Yeah, right. <laughs> about it being a very male-dominated industry. But the one thing, but I'm not going to talk about the, that as much as a perception of mine, and that is that the two female uh, winemakers that I have uh, interviewed both seem very passionate and have... We're a lot more fun to watch. Seem, Let me say that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and you both seem to you know, at least have the, the courage. I won't talk about that male genitalia, which is a better way to go about Ego. it. To do, to, 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 to do things that a lot of people would have wouldn't uh, spend the well, time doing because of their now there is a gamble yeah in it mm -hmm. it could totally you could fall flat yeah, on your face yeah. and people would hate it like, yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> it, it could happen and so no that 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 worked out really well no i think i think um a lot of things and i kind of do want to speak to the females of the audience to a little bit is confidence is a huge thing in mm -hmm. this industry and i think melanie is very confident. I'm very confident. There, there are a bunch of females that are, are very confident in what they do, mm -hmm. and their wines are fantastic, and mm -hmm. it shows in their wine. And growing up in this industry, like when I was younger, a lot worse. Now there's a lot more um, things afforded to you right. uh, with the Me Too movement and everything. Right. But when I was growing up, I mean, the slightest hint of hesitation, the slightest hint of I don't know, and they pounce on you. So my advice to those, the, the younger women, the younger men, anybody coming up in this industry, because it's a very critical industry. Learn your shit, please, for the love <laughs> of God. Go take a course, go do something, go sit out in the field and watch fungus grow. That's how I, that's how I started, was mm -hmm. just, well, I'm not gonna, you know, it's like being in, in any, any industry. You need to learn who came before you, who's, who are the players now, and who's gonna come in the future. Figure out where you wanna be, in that, in that whole grand scheme of things, figure out what you're good at and stick with it. You know, like I could have been a crystal technician for my entire life. Yeah. I was good at it. It's not, <laughs> it's not that hard, you know? I could have been a taster. Yeah. I, I love doing tastings. I love sure. talking to people. I love doing this kind of stuff. You know, there's so many stories to tell and there's, it's, wine is a really fun kind of medium to work with. But if you don't have that confidence, if you, if you can't, connect with the past and the people who came before you as well as the people in the future like don't get into this industry they'll eat you alive i mm -hmm. mean you know it doesn't matter if you're a woman doesn't matter whatever just just be you and and make them 
make them taste you in the wine. Cause like my dad likes to say the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Right. And if it's a good wine, usually they're quiet. So I always look for the silence. <laughs> Who's not clapping? Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. look for those people. But it, again, confidence is huge. Motivation, anticipation. It's, it's, this is an extension of you. So you better know it. Well, you certainly <laughs> Back do. Back and forth, right? Um, to, Thank you. If you listen to the podcast, you know <laughs> I'm going to end up near the end with this question. You started winemaking, being, making wine 2010? Yeah, I mean, well, I've, I've been involved in everything. Yeah, but so. at, I'm just going to use yeah. 2010. That's fine. If you could send a text message to yourself at 20, 2010 from now, something you wish you knew in 2010 about making wine or anything that has to do with this industry, would you send anything to yourself? or Would I send anything? That's such a, it's a good question. I have two answers for you. Oh, good. <clears throat> Knowing what I know now, if I, if I could send a text message back, I would say, Buckle up, but it gets better. Okay. If if it had been without COVID and all this stuff, sure. just, just, it's so hard to explain it, but you have to care. Yeah. Get out of bed. You know, don't worry about all the other bullshit. Like, go do your job. Like, don't worry about what people's opinions are. Don't get caught up in the medals and the press. And, I mean, it's nice. I, I do like the medals of the press. <laughs> not going to lie. Like, it, it's, it's, it's one of these jobs where you can actually see your progress. Mm-hmm. See your progress. It's <laughs> like, all about the medals. So, but it's just like, if I could tell myself, oh, my God, what was I doing when I was in 2010, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago? Ugh, my age is showing. Just be you. Yeah. And, and don't let them tell you no. I love it when people tell me no or I can't do something because I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it, you know. So it's, it's, yeah, I love this industry. I love the people. They've given me so much. And the least I can do is give back through my medium, give back to the community, teach people, explain to people, educate people, learn from people. It's, it's such a dynamic industry that we're in. You can't rest on your laurels here. You can't. You can't rest on your medals. You can't rest on your ninety pointers. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep getting out there and looking at the grapes and touching the grapes and tasting the grapes and yeah, it's all about the grapes, man. It's all about the grapes, <laughs> especially well, Norton. <laughs> but listen, before we get out of here, uh, is there anything you want the listeners to know about that we haven't talked about about Virginia wine or Casanel in particular? And then also mm. tell us about any events you might have coming up. I know, as you said, with COVID, oh, it's, it's so sort many of... Things. It's March, my birthday month. So we oh, have lots of things too. coming. Um, we're actually doing a Carmenere, like specialty Carmenere tasting. So I'm going to open up our vault. <laughs> and I'm going to go back to my first Carmenere that I made back in 2014, my first full varietal. And, and we'll that? taste through that. Um, I believe it's the 20th. I think okay. it's Friday. But follow me on um, Instagram. You can do the Castanel handle. It's at Castanel Vineyards. Or my personal handle is at Midnight underscore Barbie. <laughs> a lot oh. of great pictures on that. <laughs> I put um, all of that in the show notes, too. So. But uh, I would say to the viewers out there that um, in a world where everything's about, like, social media and, like, instant gratification and, and very visual world that we live in, um, I can't remember who said it, but there was this saying that if you want to look at what people love the most, look at their photo album or look at their camera roll. Take a look at Castanel's Instagram and Facebook. Take a look at mine and you'll see what we're about. 
just grapes. <laughs> you know, grapes, people, Great. fashion, and, and a sense and of bottles. place. So that's what Castanel is definitely about. Okay. And we're excited to have you. Come out and visit us. Just, you know, check out our website. Give us a call. We're here for you. Well, Katie, I want to thank you for oh, having no, us out here. This has been fantastic. I will be back once it's, I'll be back. <laughs> I can see that when it's warmer and because you have a great uh, deck out here. Yeah, we have lots of space. And lots of space. Fun. Also, if you uh, look on the Internet, there are lots of great shots of, of, of your uh, land out here for those people who are interested in about coming out. So thank you once again. It was again. a pleasure, Howard. I'll thank you very you much. Soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, that's another show in the books. I had a fantastic time visiting and speaking with Katie Henley of Casanova Vineyards and Winery. If you live in or near the DMV, or if you're visiting Loudoun County, specifically Leesburg, Virginia, do yourself a favor and stop by Casanel. Do a tasting, especially if you're a fan of sparkling wine, the Red Spark and the Black Spark are not to be missed. You'll, in fact, you're gonna pick up a few bottles if you do that, trust me. And please, whoever you meet there, tell them that you heard about them on Barrel Tasting. Katie, thank you again for being on the show. You're always welcome to come on to discuss all things Virginia wine, winemaking, and Norton related. Yeah, yeah, especially Norton related. I'm about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because I think it's some of the best in the nation. This guy would say it's some of the best in the world. If you agree with that sentiment, please share this podcast. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about the craft beverage culture in the DMV. This show was written, produced, and birthed by yours truly. I'm Howard Fletcher. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce you to. I know there's a ton of media that you could be listening to besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me. Thank you again for listening. And remember, always have a designated driver, so we'll see you next time. Isvikata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.